We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, Roto Grinders? Food for thought. We made it to the Super Bowl. Another season just about in the books. I'm the Looch. I'm here with my guy, Chief Justice Will Priester. And we have a phenomenal guest with us today. But I'll let Chief do the intro because that's what he does. Yeah, man. Uh, So glad to come on and talk with everyone yet again. This is our last NFL pod. Maybe we sneak one in for NBA. You never know. But, uh, this is our last one for the season, and uh, I, I think closing this one out, man, we probably couldn't have a, a better person to come on. It's been in the industry a long time, one of the industry goats. Uh, I'm just going to say it like this, folks. Number one in our program, Stunder Dan in our hearts, Dan <laughs> Palio is in the building from Roto Baller. Dan, what's going on? Guys, that's I don't know if I'm worthy of that intro. Like, geez, but I appreciate it. Feel made me feel welcome here. Uh, I was thrilled when I you guys offered me to come on and uh, excited to talk uh, just about sports. Anything you want to talk about, love it. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for that, Will. Yes, sir. Of course. And I, for those of you not watching and just listening, he's decked out in his Pittsburgh Steeler attire. So good, good to get one of my local boys. Uh, from my yeah. neck of the woods on the podcast for once. You're, you're just yeah. across uh, Route 78 over there, Dan. Yeah, I know. We're not that far away. We've talked about meeting up sometime halfway. And um, definitely, like, it's always cool to meet some people in person in the industry. And we'll have to make it happen, man, sometime, no doubt. Yeah, let's do it for sure. Maybe we could do uh, a show from a diner somewhere or something. Yeah, like that'd, that. be, that'd be funny. That'd be awesome. Yeah, I'd love that. Represent we have a lot PA, to man. catch up on. Uh we're kind of smack in the middle of conference championship week and in the Super Bowl, obviously. And of course the stage is set now for the 49ers and the chiefs. There's already been some line movement uh, and a bunch of things. The props have been released and we'll get to that, but you know, we're not going to beat a bunch of dead horses here for lack of a better term, but we do need to wrap up and close out some of the falling outs and some of the results from conference championship week. And I'm obviously, Really excited to hear Chief come on here and talk with me every week, Dan. But he he we had a pretty good Josh Allen discussion a couple of weeks ago, and Chief was not making any excuses for Josh Allen. And I guess I was feeling generous that day, and I was willing to throw him a bone or two, you know, because of varying circumstances throughout the season and in the game. But I want to start with the AFC, and I'll let Chief let it rip. And I, I want to hear your thoughts if if Lamar Jackson's the MVP of the league hypothetically, and and most likely then. 
Are you making any excuses for the guy from the Baltimore Ravens loss to Kansas City 17 to 10 last week? Man, you know I'm not making any excuses. You're a big-time quarterback. You got to show up and play football. Like, that's not what this is. Like, look, here's what the media is telling you. Oh, you can't blame Lamar. They they ran a pass-heavy pass heavy offense, and, you know, this team is built and predicated on running the football, and because they had a bad game plan by Todd Monken, you know, we're giving Lamar a pass. No, we're not giving Lamar a pass. That's ridiculous. Here's why. Lamar's got the money. He's one of the top options at quarterback in the NFL and the score was 17 to 10. It's not like the score was 35 to 7, 28 to 7, you know, 55. Mm-hmm. It's a 17 to 10 football game. And you're telling me we're going to give Lamar a pass because of a bad game plan. Look, I coach basketball. I know it's a different sport. Yeah. I understand. Sometimes you can have a bad game plan, but you're the quarterback. You can make some adjustments, right? Aren't you able to go up to the line, call some audible, say, hey, Todd, I know you know you, you want us to throw the ball here. I think we're going to go to an RPO check. I think we're going to go to a to a you know quarterback draw check. We're going to go to a, you know a, a inside dive check. Like there are things you can do at the quarterback position that can help put your team in a position to be successful. So I don't want to hear these excuses. For Lamar Jackson, this doesn't make sense. It's a 17 to 10 football game, right? Once <laughs> yeah. again, if this was some blowout and, and obviously he had to sit back there and sling it, okay, I, yeah, whatever. The Chiefs just, just he had a bad day. Lamar did not have as bad of a day as we think. Yes, I, I'll give him this. Zay Flowers, come on, buddy. Got to take care of the football, get into the goal line. Like, I'll give him that. That's a that's a game changing play. Don't get me wrong, but to give Lamar a pass, and we're saying, yeah, he's the MVP, but no, we're not doing that. Josh Allen doesn't get a pass. Dak Prescott doesn't get a pass. Patrick Mahomes doesn't get a pass. You know, you know, Aaron Rodgers never got a pass in my book. If you've listened to this podcast before, right? These top quarterbacks, Justin Herbert's not getting a pass. I don't give these guys passes. You make too much money, and you're too skilled to complain when you lose a game by seven points. Get out there and do your job. If your job is to play quarterback, then guess what? Hit the wide open receivers and Lamar's got legs, right? Lamar's good enough. Lamar was good enough to take over this game by himself. The defense did their job. They gave up 14 points early. They gave up three points the rest of the quarter. It's your job to win the football game now, not the defense. They did their job. I'm going to cut it off there because I'm sure Dan has some thoughts. But giving big-time quarterbacks passes when they don't play well really fires me up, Dan. I'm, I'm the same way – the same. I can way, tell. I'm probably giving more energy to Lamar because I think he played way worse than Josh Allen did. And Josh Ooh. Allen made some timely mistakes late in that game that cost him a win. But Lamar just played bad almost start to – like, come on, guy. You can run the football yourself. Yeah. He right. did none of that. That makes no sense. Makes no sense. I'm going to be quiet, Dan, please. Please. All right. Here's where, again, I'm removing my Steeler Homer hat. Like, I, you know, as a Steeler fan, I was obviously rooting against the Ravens. But here's my thing. Um, I think it was, it was so bizarre because you see him in that first that first touchdown that they got where he scrambled around, made the throw, and I, instantly I was thinking, oh, crap, here we go. Like, Lamar's in his, in his feels, right? Like, he's got – then he, like, you know, caught his own deflection and ran with it, and you're like – he can make these plays. 13 I was thinking, yards, by the way, on that play. Right. So, yards. 
And then all of a sudden, he's dropping back and he's looking, he's looking, and he's like, he's checking down. He's like, he's taking sacks. Like you, you said, like, I could, I was blown away by the fact that he did not run the ball or scramble or make any big plays. Um, the big play made to Zay Flowers, but eventually didn't, they didn't score on. But like, was another one where he ran around, scrambled, like, found the guy deep. Like, if he would have played within his normal self, I think they probably win the game, or at least the game is a, a possession game down to the wire, like whatever. Um, it was, it was like he was forced, he was forcing himself to stay in the pocket to like a point where you were like, what do you like? Go run, go do something, like make something happen. Uh, I, I was, it was very bizarre. Baltimore got, like you said, got out of their game plan entirely. Um, Kansas City went way too conservative late. Like I was, like you know, what I don't know what they were doing either. Like they went, they went down the field twice like gangbusters and all of a sudden they're like running the football and checking it down on third down and like they, they basically allowed Baltimore the opportunity to get back in the game if they wanted to and um and they didn't it was crazy I I don't know I, I had the obviously I had the Chiefs and I was rooting for them and I, I was hoping they win but the whole game I was terrified because I'm like if Lamar turns it on he's won two big plays away from just totally swinging this game back around and like you said, I don't think he you can make any excuses for him. Um, the whole playoff Lamar thing is going to hang over his head for a while yet until he can until he can show that he can win these big games. Like I'm sorry, but uh, the win over Houston means not much to me. Like Houston was probably shouldn't have been there in the first place. We know like they were playing with house money, like they were <laughs> overachieving for what they had done. So that win didn't, doesn't really do much for me. Um, and until we see him win a big game. You know, I think Josh Allen the week before had a better game, obviously a much better game statistically against the Chiefs and had better stats than than Lamar most of the season, too. But I don't know. He'll probably get the MVP. It's a regular season award, uh, mainly because they had those huge wins down the stretch where they blew out the Niners. They blew out the Dolphins. Um, But, you know, for me, Josh Allen led all the quarterbacks in total touchdowns, like brought his team back from what, five and six or whatever, all the way to to within a field goal from the AFC championship. Like he's he's probably my guy if I had to take a pick, but you know, I, I think Lamar will probably win it. I, I just I can't sit here and say that, you know, the, the Baltimore staff did uh did no service to Lamar Jackson. No. Three three early down running back runs in the first half. It's mind blowing. I, I get it. Lamar needs to take accountability at least a majority of it. But it's more like a 65-35 thing if I'm trying to call it, you know. Oops. I have to, like, put a little bit of blame on Todd Monken and, and the game plan. And I understand, but who, who knows what those closed-door discussions were. Maybe Lamar really bought in. You know, Lamar, I'm a, I'm a quarterback, not a running back. I can do this. If this is the game plan he's calling, I got this. I, I mean, who are we compared I, I to, to them? I can't. Here's my argument. This is my only argument for the quarterback position. Like, if you're an offensive lineman, we're having a totally different discussion here. Wide receiver, where, listen, as at the quarterback position, when they're paying him this type of money, you don't think these guys have the freedom to say, okay, he called excellent 22 cross, you know, dip, right, right, right screen, whatever. I'm just making it up. You don't think he's got the autonomy to come up to that line and say, wait, 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 one, two, three. Mm, they got three in the box. I don't like that call. Check. Hey, this is what we're doing now. You don't See, think I, he's got that type of autonomy. Lamar's I, not that guy, though. He's not – Lamar's not that guy. Like, I'm sorry. Like, he's the lowest wonderlick scorer in the league. Like, I don't, he's not 
he's not Peyton Manning up there. He's not going to make those checks and those. He's not a heady, like audible guy. He's just an incredible athlete who can make incredible plays. So let him run around and play backyard football. Like that's what he's good. He's not a check. He's not going to go up and check like Peyton Manning. And he's not that guy. He, and that's okay. Sorry. Right. That's, just and that's okay. Yeah. Right. Here's my argument though. How many years has Lamar been in the league? This is what I'm really getting at. Lamar's been in the league long enough to have the ability for one to two checks. Like, because football, I football's intricate, but like to check from a pass to a run is very simple. Like, sure. you go, you look, you say, okay, hey, we've got numbers. Hey, we're checking to this run play. Oh, we're supposed to run. Wait a minute. They've got we. They, they've got the advantage on the run. We're going to check to a screen, you know, a, 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 a bubble screen outside or a quick pass outside that to get us three or four yards to keep the t- which is an extension of the run game. Okay, wait yeah. a minute. They're, they're running this. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go RPO. We're going to try to hit the slant. If not, I'll pull it out. Go. Like that. That's all I'm saying. Like you, he can, he knows how to play football. Like I I know he's not yeah. Brady or Mahomes, or heck, maybe even C.J. Stroud in terms of how he wants to manipulate the game. But yeah. you can make one to two checks from a pass to a run, a run to – like, that's all I'm saying. Like, come it, on, guy. You've got to know that. Maybe, maybe those simple checks would be enough in a 17-10 game to get the win. But still, you're Todd Monken. You have the whole playbook available to you rather than Lamar checking down to a couple of options at the line, you know. It just, it's just, it's just, obviously it's mind blowing to all of us. You don't have to blame Lamar. You can blame Lamar, but the three of us sitting here still are like, what the hell are they doing? Like, who, yeah. who are you going to blame is a different story. But the fact is, that was just kind of a head scratcher. And, yeah. uh, you know, Spags has done an amazing job with that defense in Kansas City this year. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, you know what? Like, he didn't even have to adjust. He just started blitzing. It worked. There was nothing and no screens, nothing to counter it in the Baltimore game plan, apparently. So he just kept coming the whole game. And right. if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, Luch, there it is. I didn't play the quarterback position. And even I know if they're going to start sending blitzes from any side, you just throw to where they dedicated. Really. It's very look, okay. I, I know I'm making this more simple than it actually is, but my point is if you play quarterback, slant right where the blitz left, out route right where the blitz, like it's 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 not rocket science per se. And I think, you know, I, I you know me, I'm just much harder on quarterbacks because quarterbacks get paid the money. And especially the big quarterbacks, like, you know, if you're Jacoby Brissett, you're going to get a pass from me. You're not the starter, right? You're not the guy they're playing the big money. You're the guy they're paying to come in and keep the team afloat if something bad happens, right? I'm probably a little bit harder on Andy Dalton because he gets paid elevated uh, uh, backup quarterback money because he could probably still start somewhere. Dan. Like if 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 the chips fell his way, he could still go somewhere and start. Like he's just as good as Geno Smith to be. As an example, you know what I mean. Like I'm saying that's possible. But when you're Lamar, you're getting 200 plus, and that and all these guys like you get paid, in my opinion, to help the organization keep moving forward when things don't go right. Like Brock Purdy's making nine hundred thousand dollars, and I'm I'm not trying to look. Look, we understand his draft position. Something he's going to get paid. Don't get me wrong, but Brock Purdy is out here doing Brock Purdy things and helping this team win. 
You know, like, and that's your job. At that position, you get paid to lead the charge when things are going wrong. And Lamar didn't do that. And that's my yeah. thing. He didn't do he didn't do it. All right. Yeah. I, I promise I'm done now. I'm I'm done. I really do think you're both right, and I hate to be the the split in the middle here, but I do think the game plan was bad. They uh, they could have scripted a better game plan for him, but at the same time, it, it does fall on Lamar. Like he can't. Uh, we, we saw Brock Purdy, like you says, like Brock Purdy ran for more yards in his game probably than Lamar did. Like, uh, I, I was blown away that Lamar didn't take just kind of flip in back into Lamar mode and and just do his thing. Um, but. Hey, I'm you know at the end of the day I had the Chiefs, so I was happy. But and I think the Chiefs are going to give us a really good, fun matchup for Super Bowl too. Since we already seen the Baltimore, San Francisco game this year, we're gonna you know we're gonna see a whole new matchup. So yeah, and um, we didn't bring you on the show to be nice, Dan. You can tell us we're wrong. <laughs> no, that's all right. I mean, I do really do think that you're both partially right. You know, you made a good point about Baltimore really hammering kind of bad teams and. Chief and I have talked on the show all year that there just was a gap between for the most of the season, Baltimore, San Fran, and the rest of the league. And, you know, they were kind of our two first tier teams. And then the second tier of contenders or, or teams that you think it would be nice, a nice idea to make the Super Bowl. There's probably 14 teams that just have glaring holes somewhere. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Baltimore really hammered some of those bad defenses and, and Kansas city was the best defense that Baltimore had to play all year. I mean, uh, sure. Baltimore has been in a couple of shootouts, but that was the first game where the defense like was really rattled in a big moment. The, objectively, the biggest game at M&T Bank Stadium, um, you know, hosting a conference championship there. Uh, I had to look back because I couldn't believe the other conf- AFC conference championships at M&T Bank were on the road. But then when mm-hmm. you realize you're playing in a division with, you know, Brady Manning, a uh, conference with Brady and Manning for 20 years, I guess it's not that uh, far fetched. Sure. But, you know, all the, the – just the – frustration penalties late in that game from that defense, yeah. the unnecessary roughnesses and um, the late hits in the quarterbacks, like those free 15 yards and first downs. I don't want to say put the nail in the coffin at that point. because it was a one score game, but you just kind of felt it uh, just watching through the television screen from your living room, kind of felt it getting away at that point that yeah. these guys are, are kind of rattled. Yeah, no doubt. I thought that too. And I think there's certainly some people are going to say the Chiefs get calls and the NFL wanted the Chiefs to win. There's all those conspiracy theorists out there, but I mean, the, most of those calls on the in the announcers were were on the same page. Like those were all the right calls. Like there wasn't anything really that questionable there. Like late hit on Mahomes, this the, uh, all the other personal foul stuff. Like Zay Flowers spinning the ball over the dude. Like what are you doing? Like just really dumb stuff. I know he's a rookie. I mean, it's kind of, but like you could tell, like it was in their heads. Like they were in their own heads a little bit, and. um yeah, the Chiefs have been there. That's the thing about the Chiefs, man. They've been there. They've done it. Uh, you know, and one of the things we'll maybe get into in the Super Bowl is like the fact that they, uh, they're 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 back for like the fourth time in five years. Like they know they know the routine. They know the drill. No moment's too big for them. So, yeah, I, I figure we'll get to the Chiefs when we look at to the Super Bowl. Um, you know, they outclassed the Ravens. They kept their composure. Uh, the experience was definitely a huge factor. You make a great point. Um, since we're going to talk a lot about the Chiefs, can we shift over, I guess, to discuss more of the, you know, the fallout of, of Detroit, you know, and we'll save the Niners talk for the Super Bowl preview here. But uh, just gut-wrenching, and if, you know, unless you're an NFC North fan of someone else that's not the Lions or you're just a 49ers fan, um, 
just from like a human nature perspective, I'd be a little bit worried about you if there wasn't like a sliver of you kind of pulling for the Detroit story to maybe win this game and just a gut wrenching collapse. Chief Detroit, uh, rough one, phenomenal season, but you know with with the with their season ending in that fashion. You know the fan base and, and the organization has to feel a lot more empty, uh, and it has to feel it has to feel a little bit more of a failure of a season than it probably should feel like at this point for them, just because of you know the substantial lead they had in that game. Listen, I don't want anyone. I'm going to bring my my level down because I could get even more flabbergasted about Dan uh, Dave Campbell and this this play calling. But I'm going to start at this level and work my way up and try to try to keep this thing on the rails. I don't care what Dan Campbell said in his press conference about taking chances. Sir, you were up big time in this football game. Luch, Dan, and Dan, I'm not sure how, how much you've listened to the pod. We are a pro field goal podcast. But here's why. If you keep taking points, right, you're going to come out ahead in the end. So it's not, to me, it's not about, well, you know, it's fourth and two on the 25. If I'm up 24 points, 21 points, 17 points, and it's fourth and two, take the field goal, you're going to go up 20. Even if they come down and get, like, you kick the ball off, they got to drive the length of the field. And, I, and obviously I know they still have to drive the length of the field if you're kicking from the 25. But my point is you left with something, right? You know, it's kind of like, I don't know if, if any of you guys have ever been uh, part of that uh, timeshare uh, uh, sales pitch. The reason you go to the sales pitch is because they're saying you're going to leave with something no matter what. So I don't have to buy the timeshare. They're going to give me a free dinner. They're going to give me tickets to a show. They're going to give me $500. Like they're going to do all these things to try to sell me on the fact that I should right? Buy this timeshare. But all I have to do is keep telling them no and take what they're offering. And I feel like the parallel here is Dan Campbell went to the marketing pitch and decided he was going to get in a battle with the timeshare people that he wasn't going to win. He didn't take what they were offering. They said, hey, here's this night's field goal, right? Or you can keep going and try to get the touchdown. Maybe I should equate this more to mm, deal or no deal or something like that, where there's this zonk room and you're like, hey, they said, hey, we'll give you $500 or you can try to see what's behind door number two. And door number two could be just something that's just terrible. They call it the zonk and it's nothing. You leave with nothing. This is what Dan Campbell did to the Detroit Lions football team. He almost got them there and left with nothing. And that's bad coaching. I Listen, I, I'm all for Dan Campbell being aggressive. But my point is this. When you're up by that many points, and yes, guess what? We can blame it on the drops until we don't kick the field goals. If, you just, if he took those six points, and yeah, I know apples, this probably isn't apples to apples and oranges to oranges. I get that. They lost the game by three points, folks. See, you see what I'm saying? See, this, yeah. this is where I get frustrated. Don't sell me this crap that you're going to continue to be aggressive. They were going to try to recline. No, you were up big time in this game. 
if you took those six points, there are different outcomes. Because guess what that does, Luch? I'm not sure if he knows this. There's another offensive coordinator, another head coach on the other side that's going to now have to change their game plan because rather than you being up 14, you're now up 20. You get what I'm saying? And so their game plan going down the stretch now, as you get into the fourth quarter with 12 minutes left, 10 minutes left, and they're still down nine points, they have to have a different game plan. They're not going to sit around and try to say, okay, well, we got to hand it to McCaffrey. We want to we, we want to we be methodical. No, they have to figure out ways to score because their running game had got going in the first half. And I think in the second half, they ran the ball six times. Look, folks. I don't give these people passes where they have a chance to win. When you're in an NFC championship game and you're up close to 20 points, that's your opportunity to win. The game was squandered away by being too risky. I don't care what your regular season thoughts were. I don't care what you've done in the regular season. Do you think the Detroit Lions fans would have cared if Dan Campbell would have decided, hey, let's not be as risky today, kick these field goals? No, they would have been extremely happy to purchase their $5,000 tickets and head to the Super Bowl. So not only, Dan, did he cost his team a win, he cost the organization more profits, he cost them the glory of getting there, and next year isn't going to get easier. The Vikings Mm. are coming back. The Packers are coming back. Mm. The Bears are coming back. It's not getting easier. The NFC South may be better. The NFC North. The NFC East all may be better. We just saw it. I know we're not talking about this right now, but we just saw the Eagles got a competent offensive coordinator in there. They may now be a problem coming into the season, and this might be a team now that they have to contend with. I'm not sure what's going to happen with Tampa Bay. Obviously, the offensive coordinator came to my beloved beloved Panthers. We'll see it. I know I'm throwing some things in there that we're not talking about, but my point is the NFC on paper looks like it's going to get better, and Dan Campbell now has to figure out how do we navigate the landmines of my aggressiveness when we're up. Okay, I'm done. Wow. All right. So let's start with the fact that I agree with you, Will, that – that Dan Campbell had made his had his reputation on being this risk taker and, and all that stuff, but the, this game could have been coached differently. The moment the moment is bigger, the game is bigger, the situations are different. Uh, it's different when you're um, like the, the Dallas game; they're they're tying it up. They want to they want to go for the win with the two point conversion. That's a different scenario than it is being up fourteen, trying to go up seventeen, go up twenty, whatever. Totally different scenario. Totally different outcome or totally different like let's just say uh, stakes right uh, in terms of what's what's the stake i i agree with you he first of all those guys obviously want to run through a wall for him like he he is such a leader of men and uh he has that charisma and that you know players coach the whole mentality of that team the whole direction of that team it's awesome it's a great story I'm a huge fan of his just for that fact that he did that. He, he turned that around so quickly. The culture of that franchise, that's not easy to do. But at the same time, man, there's the coaching is not just that part. There's so much of the X's and O's. There's so much of the situational stuff. Uh, one of the reasons why, and I don't know if we don't have to get into it, I'm not the biggest Mike Tomlin fan, is that he's done similar things. Like, he's not a great in-game coach. Um, they, you know, the guys love him, but play hard for him. But the other aspect is making the right decisions and the tough decisions, the ones that might not be as popular when your players are sitting there saying, let's go for it. Let's go for it. Like clearly they want to go for it. And you have to be the guys like, no, we're going to kick, right? We're going to kick. It's not the fun thing. It's not the exciting thing, 
but it was the right move, and he and he botched it. And like you said, it hurts more because if Detroit goes in and they trailed by two touchdowns the whole game and lost, their fans are like, "Hey, we that was a great season, we made it." But the fact that they were there and they looked, they were they were literally just dominating that game. There's there's really no no excuses. They were dominating on both sides of the ball, and the moment football is such a game of momentum, right? There's no other game out there where things can turn on one possession or one turnover or whatever it might be, you know, and that when I, I felt that I felt it whenever they went for it on fourth and didn't get it. I was like, man, they're leaving that door open, just the slightest crack. And then of course they go down and score fumble, the door's wide open, right? Next thing, the, the, the tip pass. And you're like, Oh man, this is, everything's going their way now. Like you just, you open that door crack and that team like San Francisco, right? Talented, good opportunistic, just, came crashing through. So I agree with you, man. He didn't do what needed to be done, and um, he should have accountability for that. That moment was the long fourth and two. I'm okay. Mm. You know, you you go for it. You you don't kick the first field goal. That's fine. You don't extend the game to three scores, and you go for it on a long fourth and two. And I get it. Uh, Bashley doesn't have a good good track record, but that's your kicker. That, I mean, and, and you extend that thing to three scores and maybe the momentum and everything doesn't snowball out of control. You have a bunch of a bunch of guys who haven't been in a game of this, you know, of this magnitude before saying, oh, shit, here we go. Right. As soon as you don't get that fourth and two. And that's where like the human nature where the analytics police is coming to knock on my door. But that's where the human nature component comes into play. And you have an inexperienced, you know, a roster full of guys who are kind of on their heels at that point a little bit. And. Uh, just, just really disappointing, and you know, I, I, I agree with a great story. I'd run through a wall for Dan Campbell. He, he, like he deserves a key to Detroit for turning that culture around to the city for sure. But you know, four years from now, like it might be a, you know, do you want to go from good to great thing? And Chief and I, and, and it's no disrespect to Dan Campbell, but I feel like we have similar thoughts here, Dan Palo. I feel like you know he's just, but we're it might be a good segue because. There were some really big coaching candidates, uh, big names um, who didn't get hired. And you just see the league turning to offensive-minded head coaches. And the turnover rate among offensive coordinators is unbelievably minuscule. And we're not going to dive into it uh, just yet, maybe in like 90 seconds. But Brian Callahan was the longest-tenured offensive coordinator of five freaking years in the NFL. And now he's a head coach of a football team. So, you know, you have all of these systems put into place and maybe young teams buying in. Um, but if you're a head coach who puts, you know, 90% of that responsibility on your offensive coordinator, uh, you better hope you have a keen eye for a revolving door of talent uh, that you can, you know, remain you know, consistent throughout the years with, with your game plan. And uh, again, that's not Dan Campbell, his, his strengths, it should be motivating and making in-game decisions. And he's failing miserably about the, with the in-game decision part obviously hitting a home run with the culture change and having the guys play for him. But, um, and, and I think the saving grace is uh, Ben Johnson decided to come back, which we'll get to momentarily, but um, just, I mean, the situational clock management. I mean, I feel like I could pull a handful of uh, the top Madden streamers in the world, or even the average Joe's. I mean, hell pass me, pass me the decision-making button because the end of this game was also mind blowing, which are Dan Campbell decisions. And um, he didn't do this, but I'm not a fan of, and it's just my opinion, taking timeouts before the two minute warning. He didn't do that. 
But when the when Detroit went down there and tried to punch it in, you know, about a minute left on the clock, they burnt timeouts. Um, so if they didn't get the onside kickback, they were completely dead. They didn't have three timeouts to stop the clock, and that's exactly what happened. Um, no one told you to run the ball down near the goal line and burn a timeout. No one told you to go for the score. You could have kicked three. Um, and then if you don't get the onside kickback, you have three timeouts to maybe get a stop. There are just more outs to extend your season, but I understand you shouldn't you shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. It's almost like here's Dan Campbell doubling down again after he screwed up. Uh, kind of like in the Dallas game where they did get a little bit screwed, but he doubled down and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. went forward after the penalty. He just doubled down and said, you know, uh, these are my guys and we're doing it. And I guarantee Look, there was some influence from his players, like you pointed out. But it's just like, you know, you see the gifts that make so much sense in the memes about Dan Campbell on the blackjack table hitting hitting at 20. And I just feel like that's what he kept doing. And at some point, you got to take your chips, put them in your pocket, go to the cashier window, take a girl out to a nice dinner and call it a night. And unfortunately, uh, nobody had a nice dinner in Detroit that night. So, Luce, this is what we keep saying, though, right? Like, this is is the problem. I'm not not surprised that this happens at all. Dan Campbell has an overcommitment to being Dan Campbell. At some point, there's got to be a, 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 a line that says, okay, there's winning and then there's philosophy, right? And that's how I feel about analytics, right? Because guess what? People people probably think we're anti-analytics folks. We're in the fantasy sports business. We are pro. <laughs> this is what we yeah. do every day. And so no what we're trying to tell you is there's a line between common sense analytics that we have to bring together. We're actually all on the same team because guess what we want at the end? The W, we want to win, right? So the analytics have their part and the common sense has their part. And I think Dan Campbell is operating in himself a little bit too much, right? There's a Mm -hmm. way to be aggressive. And there's also a way to say, you know what? in, In this situation, I would usually do this. But we've got the hopes and dreams of a whole city on our shoulders. Let's keep finding ways to cement the fact that we want to carry this city to a Super Bowl. Because here's the thing. Detroit's been bad so long, but now they're actually good. And guess what comes with being good? Expectations. (laughs) People are expecting Detroit to come back and win again. Like, it's, it's, it's not happenstance that the Run, Barry, Run documentary came out this year, right? We saw in that documentary, Barry Sanders getting there, there were immediate expectations because he was a generational talent. And they had some chances. They couldn't capitalize on them. And, folks, listen, this team feels like they might be in that boat. They, this was their chance to get there. Even if they didn't win, that city would have been extremely happy to be in the Super Bowl. They didn't yeah. even get to taste the glory of it. And that's Dan, that's on Dan Campbell. I know players drop passes, but come on, man. And I'm going to leave it there. I think what you mentioned earlier about how tough it is to get back is, is relevant because regardless of what everyone else in the leagues do, everyone else is going to improve and get better. And, but it's 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 so hard to, to maintain uh, you know, winning in the NFL um, from year to year. The schedule gets harder once you had a good year, right? Everything changes. You're, you're, you got the target on your chest the next year. I mean, it's we see so often teams struggle to get back just to the playoffs, let alone make it that far. So yeah. uh, it's going to be a tougher division. All those points you made earlier are really salient in terms of um, this was kind of a, a, a big opportunity for them. And 
to use the blackjack metaphor, one of the most important things you do at the blackjack table, what no one wants to do is surrender, man. Just fold it. Give me half my money back. Give me half my money back, right? And I'll play the next hand. And he, he like you said, he, uh, I would probably want to move on from this, but at the end of the day, he's accountable for that. He uh, has to look in the mirror probably every day from now until next season and think, what if, right? What if we kick there? What if we do this differently? Because they felt like they had that game. It, it really did. Well, I feel like we can take 15 minutes and I, I can combine a lot of things into this segue here into, I want to talk about a lot of the coaching movement, a lot of new head coaches, new coordinators, a lot of teams missing pieces. And I think, I think the saving grace for Dan Campbell and the lions is uh, Ben Johnson and Aaron Glenn both interviewed for head coaching positions. And I don't know if Aaron Glenn is confirmed back, but he didn't get any of the open vacancies. I would imagine he wouldn't take a lateral move and go somewhere else to call a defense, but it seems like they're both going to return. And, and Ben Johnson was a huge commodity. Uh, one of the younger, um, you know, highly touted, you know, more brilliant offensive minds. And that's huge for Detroit if they want any kind of replication of, of success. Because, you know, after losing a, a heartbreaker like that, you know, I, I just would hate to see someone come in and implement an entire new system with, a team that really like everything was starting to click and uh, I can use this analogy because I watched a lot of the Lions that Lions team and me as a as a Titans fan reminded me so much of the uh, 2019 Titans team because you had Arthur Smith there and you had Mike Vrabel and what happened when Arthur Smith left Mike Vrabel promoted his friends from within the organization Todd Downing was the offensive coordinator. The Titans haven't scored 30 points in a football game in two years. And not only that, but the pieces were similar. You had a statue quarterback in Ryan Tannehill who thrived off play action. You had one major weapon in A.J. Brown. You had competent uh, tight end play with Johnny Smith and and Corey Davis on the other side. Um, And you had a good offensive line. Like, it was the same blueprint. Can Jared Goff go out there and win you a game? Can Ryan Tannehill go out there and win you a game? Both had phenomenal seasons. Um, I think I'm not calling either one a system quarterback, but I think they both had really nice systems put in place with really nice talent and a really nice offensive line. So um, obviously Jared Goff is had a, had a great season. I, I'm not saying that, but I think the similarities were, were different. And when you, that was the prime example of a similar offensive structure and an offensive coordinator leaving and the ramifications of that kind of, trickling down for years, um, especially when a head coach is too stubborn to outsource for talent. And you know that damn well, Dan, because you're a Pittsburgh yeah. Steelers fan and they never do anything, but uh, you must have been partying from your rooftop when they let go of Matt Cannon in midseason. And I, I know yeah. Arthur Smith probably isn't like the headline uh, coaching change here, but since I kind of made that analogy, what, what are your thoughts about Arthur Smith? Obviously he failed miserably as a head coach, with Atlanta, completely different role though. So yeah, I don't know. What yeah. are your expectations here? Well, I mean, I wasn't thrilled with it, obviously, mainly because just his reputation this year. But I think, I think it's fine. I think he doesn't. Where he struggled was with being the whole leader of men aspect and um, the the terms of like being the being the voice of the the team, and and that's something that Mike Tomlin does well and and, and is very successful with. Um, if he's just going to be um, X's and O's, right, and and drawing things up and, and scheming things. I think that's probably fine, and it's it's a good fit. It's it feels like a little bit of a a safe play by the organization because 
they know they have a good offensive line and they have a couple of talented running backs and they're trying to build through that. Um, as a Steeler fan, it, it would have been nice to make a little bit of a bigger splash. I don't know if, if what else they could have done, but I mean, they're, they're basically building with what they have. Uh, obviously, like, there's still huge questions of quarterback um, that are going to hold them back in terms of how just getting over that hump of being, uh, you know, mediocre or slightly better than average, which is what they've been for, gosh, the last five even 10 years, you know, there's, that's the knock on Tomlin. The reason I'm a little bit anti-Tomlin is that, you know, he's got this organization to be good, but not great. Um, and hasn't, hasn't really won in the playoffs in I think seven or eight years now. So um, it's, again, feels safe. Maybe, maybe it's the first nail in Tomlin's coffin in terms of like, if they end up being bad for a couple of years, I think people are waiting for them to, I, I know the whole Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season thing is, is like a thing, but like, how, what, how is it good being nine and eight? Like, is it useful being that? Because you end up being, you don't get a good draft slot, right? And then you don't get a chance to really rebuild and you're kind of stuck in this, this purgatory, which is, I know as a Titans fan, you could probably relate to because the Titans have been somewhat in that same slog, right? Of like better than the worst teams and, and like competitive, which is a credit to their coach. I love Vrabel, but, um, at the same time, you're not doing yourself any favors in terms of, of accumulating draft picks and, and making sure you have some some stock in the draft. For sure. You know, if I had a dollar for every time that Will Priester said some guys are just better coordinators than coaches, maybe Arthur Smith is that guy. And yeah, maybe he maybe he bit off a lot a lot more than he could chew. First time head coaching gig uh chief, uh pressure from Arthur Blank, who uh, maybe has irrational expectations and, and a quarterback who quite frankly, isn't very good. So maybe there just wasn't a fair shake there. Um, yeah. I mean, if you have any Arthur Smith thoughts, I mean, there are a ton of you know, coaching moves around the league, you know, we could talk about, uh, is there any one of them that surprised you chief the most? Um, I think, I think, and I, and I think I text you this Luch as a matter of fact, um, when, when we started seeing kind of the mass hiring, and I think I texted you after Raheem Morris went to Atlanta, and, and it's about Arthur Smith and everyone all combined, so uh, I'm getting there. But I said, looks like the league is, as a whole, in terms of the owners, the, the, the management teams of the, 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 the league, looks like there's a shifting of the guard here. Because when I texted you, Luke, what I said was, a lot of the old guys got no hires. They want new, fresh blood. I think that's what I texted you or something to that effect. And my, my point behind all of this is I, I'm actually pretty shocked at most of the hires because most of the old guys, like I think we thought for sure Bill Belichick would, would have a job. He has no job in terms of a head coaching opportunity. Um, you know that a lot of these coaches are young, like or younger. Let me say, you know, Jim Harbaugh gets denied. Gerard Mayo gets denied. Obviously, he they had a plan, a succession plan that we didn't know about, obviously, but but it was in his contract. Interesting, right? Gerard Mayo gets denied. Titans Brian Callahan gets denied. Antonio Pierce. I will say, I think the 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 Raiders giving Antonio Pierce a shot for a full season. I think that was the right move. I think we saw a significant shift in the culture of that team with Pierce at the helm. I was actually very, very thrilled that he got a shot 
to continue to impact the culture. I mean, you can even see with Devontae Adams, he, he didn't get the ball 20 times every game, but he still looked bought into what they were doing to me. I thought that was a big deal. Uh, let's call it Dan Campbell-esque, right? Like he had, he yeah. had the troops ready to go. I thought yeah. that was a good, a good hire. Um, you know, the Panthers got Canales from, from Tampa Bay. Raheem Morris, you know, goes to to uh, to um, to Atlanta. Seattle gets Mike McDonald's kind of staying around a defensive-minded head coach. We'll see how that works out. And then the commanders hired Dan Quinn. And, and Luch texted me about this one, I think, yesterday. Luch, and he realized, interesting. Dan Quinn, I don't think that's who they actually wanted. But they end up with, with, with Dan Quinn. I think Dan Quinn might be getting the – the worst end of all these hires because Washington, that organization is just in turmoil in terms of player personnel. And he's got to come in there and kind of try to rebuild something almost similar, similar to uh, the Steelers, but, but not so much. I, I want to revisit something that, that Dan talked about with Arthur Smith coming over. I think Arthur Smith hire is actually probably a little bit better than we think because they've got running backs that, that he can get that running game going. At quarterback, what are they going to do? Sounds like they may have Mason Rudolph competing to start, which I get it, but I'm with you, Dan. I, and I like Mike Tomlin as a coach, but, like, they just haven't had enough lo losses to go and get the big guns. Like, George Pickens is fine. Deontay Johnson is, is fine. You know, uh, uh, Friar Muth is fine. But, like, when are we going to get – I mean – Obviously, Watt is there. You know, when are we going to get Malik Neighbors, right? When are we going to? Yeah, are we gonna, it's like you know, have one bad season and say, okay, we we got our Marvin yeah. Harrison, like yeah. we'll be fine so, next year. <laughs> yeah, so I think for a lot of these coaching hires, I actually like them. I think player personnel is going to be the key to a lot of these hires, though. Like, and that's the key anyway. But when you look at some of the uh, top tier teams like San Francisco, what what have they done? They've impacted player personnel significantly. I don't think we can overlook the job that John Lynch has done with oh, yeah. player player personnel. And he's not afraid to go swing for the fences in the season. Like, yeah, their defense wasn't great. And I, I still don't think their defense is elite. Don't get me wrong. But he wasn't afraid to say, you know what? Chase Young, we may not keep his contract, but let's go get him because we need him right now. Like, we need him yeah. today, right? Uh, and so player personnel, I think, is going to impact a lot of these things, and so we'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. Uh, but but I, I definitely was most. I think I was most impressed with the Raiders for keeping Antonio Pierce. Like, I mean, like I said, I, I I was very impressed with what I felt like was an immediate culture shift from the day he started coaching with the interim head coach of the team. You could just see the moxie, and it's going to take more than that. Don't get me wrong, but I right. I, I think it also impacted winning, and maybe they go out and get a quarterback. Uh, of some sort, you know. Um, last thing I'll ask you, this one is for Dan. Sure. Because I do think there's some, something circling or swirling around this, Dan. I do think there's some validity to it because I'm starting to hear some rumblings, just backdoor talk. Do you think the Steelers swing for the fences and go get Justin Fields? And I'm not oh, saying man. Justin Fields is the answer. That, that, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, do they think Justin Fields is better enough than what they have to try? Because at this point, I, I think I think Fields is leaving 
the Bears. I, I think there's some trade that's going to happen. How do you feel about that? As a st- because it is starting to pick up some steam, like in just low-level media. Like it, it, it's getting a little smoke. Like it, so, I'm, I'm I'm just wondering, like, what are your thoughts there? Do you think he's a better option? And if he is, I hope it's not uh, Desmond Ritter 2.0. Clearly, he's better than Desmond Ritter. But I'm yeah. saying I feel like he'll try to use him in the run game, which actually might help. But just want to get your perspective as a fan. Listen, I would support that a thousand percent. I think the idea of swinging for the fences here makes sense. They, those, uh, you know, we saw enough of Cody Pickett to know he's not the guy. Mason Rudolph had a nice little run down the stretch, but is not the guy, right? We have a big enough sample on him. He's fine as a backup. Um, I think that makes a total. Listen, if you swing in the swing for the fences and miss, right, and then you're bad, just be bad for a couple years and rebuild. But this idea that they're just going to be uh, good enough to beat bad teams, but never beat good teams, um, be nine and eight, eight and nine, whatever, like that mediocrity thing is, is drives me nuts. I think Justin Fields, and I'm not like a huge Justin Fields truther, is clearly better than the options that they have. And if used in the right system, uh, if Arthur Smith wants to get him some design runs, we saw him run the ball incredibly effectively on design runs last year. Um, I mean, the, obviously we see like a, a dual threat quarterback is like what you want in the league right now. I mean, there's a there's a few pocket passers out there who are elite at what they do, but dual threat quarterbacks or at least guys who are mobile who can run around and make plays like Mahomes um, are what you want. And I think I think it would instantly make this team compelling, right? Because you could potentially elevate some of these receivers and playmakers with a mobile quarterback, with a competent quarterback. Um, I don't even know how how expensive he would be. I've I've heard rumors about what it would take to get him in terms of draft picks and. And, and um, you know, actual players. And, you know, I'd be curious to see what it actually costs to get him. Um, but go for it. Why not? I mean, I don't think – I think the last thing everybody wants is to see another season with a, a mediocre quarterback and just running the football and trying to win 13 to 10. And it's not fun. It's not that exciting. It's not an exciting brand of football to watch. I know there's this whole Pittsburgh mentality of, like, toughness and defense and whatever. But that's not what the NFL is anymore. It's not. Right? It's an offensive league. Right, it's a that's all the rule play. changes. That's why they want you smacking right. guys and taking out the quarterbacks and right. you know crushing them down. There. They want fun, high flying, yep. reasonably scored games because yep. it's more attractive. I'm with you. And look at that division. Like obviously, the Sean Watson's healthy next year. You got him, Joe Burrow, and Lamar Jackson in your division. Like you can't expect to compete with those teams with 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 average or below average quarterback yep. play. So. Um, either that, if you swing for the fences and miss, and he's not the guy, then you're bad, and then you go draft a, a, a young kid in a couple of years and and rebuild. I, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't do that personally. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't think there's too much risk with it because I don't think they have to extend him the first year. So right, I, I don't I don't think they have to extend him at least. And I'll go back and verify that just for my own personal thing. And by the way, Dan, my dad's a Steelers fan, so that's why I want to get your take. My dad would be elated. For Justin oh. Fields to come, it, it would just honestly, it would just re- reinvigorate some excitement, if nothing else. It's like, yeah. oh man, like this could actually be fun. We could actually have right. a fun product on the field. And and actually, absolutely something, something you mentioned. And then Luke, I'm gonna, I'm going to shut up and let you let you push this thing along. I don't want to get too far down a rabbit hole. Something you mentioned, I think, is like super underrated here. Joe Burrow wasn't healthy last season. If Joe Burrow's healthy 100% all the way through, 
they probably get out of that division and into the playoffs, and the Steelers are probably sitting at home. Like Easily. that's that, yeah. that that's the reality. So I, you know, I, I think they, they better make some type of move because Joe Burrow coming back, and we're gonna see if he can stay healthy because remember, availability is important, and his availability has been shaky here yeah. recently. You know, he's had some weird injuries that have cost him some time. Let's True. see if he can finish another season. But I, I definitely think getting getting a guy like Fields would would be interesting for them. I, I think I think I think there's some I think there's some truth to this. Steelers may try to to put something together to to get him. Uh, I also think there's something interesting with the Falcons that they may try. He is from Georgia, by the way. I think yeah. they may they may try to put something together. And um, I feel like those are the top two teams, in, in my opinion. Um, let me ask, last question, Luch, and then I'm, I'm done. Dan, how would you feel? And, and I, I think it's probably the right thing to do, unless they're going to get somebody that's really going to impact the organization. How do you feel about them just giving up their first rounder to go get him? And 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 the Bears saying, hey, we'll take it. Like and they say, hey, straight up, we'll give you our first rounder, give us feels. Now the Bears get, I think, three first-round picks. I think, if I'm right, I think now they've got three. Do you yeah. think that's worth it enough to go get someone to to, to quarterback this offense? I do. Honestly, I do because, you know, we've seen teams give up that much or more for uh, for quarterbacks or to move up in the draft to draft the quarterback that they want. If it works out and he ends up being good and you're competitive and you extend him, it's probably cheap. That's actually cheap, yeah. right? For for what right. and if it doesn't work out, hey, it's one year without a first round pick. They, I think they have enough organizational depth to recover from that. And if and if not, guess what? Again, people have to deal with the fact that sometimes you're going to have to be bad, uh, and no one wants to be bad and, and watch a three and thirteen season or whatever whatever it might be. But the, you know, most most of the times you got to tear it down before you build it back up. So. If you're already here and you want to get to here and quarterback play is the answer, there's no reason that you don't be aggressive and go after fields. I would love to see it. I think it's brilliant. And, and to your point about Atlanta, he'd be fun down there too. If he didn't yeah. go to Pittsburgh, Atlanta would be a really fun spot to see what he could do there. Um, but Pittsburgh clearly overachieved this year. They, they won some games they shouldn't have. Um, they had a soft schedule. They got Cincinnati without Burrow. They, all the things broke well for them. They got to play the Ravens last week without Lamar. I mean, it, anyone that can't see that isn't really paying attention. The, the, the Pittsburgh really wasn't a 10-win team. There may be a 7-8-win team at best without things really breaking their way. So no one ever really talks about this anymore, but just kind of piggybacking off of Lamar and Josh Allen, no excuses. I mean, they keep losing to who Patrick Mahomes, who could arguably be the greatest quarterback of all time in 10 years from now. I'm not ready to say that yet. But how about – Speaking of trading up, you know, giving uh, mortgaging the farm for you know, lack of a better term, was uh, when the Chiefs traded up to number ten overall in twenty seventeen for Mahomes. They gave up their first round pick, which was number twenty seven. They gave up a twenty eighteen first round pick, which was the next year, uh, and a and a twenty seventeen third round pick. So they gave up two firsts and a third. And uh, I was really wrong because I, I mean, I like Mahomes as a prospect, but when they traded up, I'm like. Alex Smith's pretty good. They got a pretty good team around him. They've gotten pretty far. Sometimes bold moves pay off. And, you right. know, but how full circle is it that the trade that the Chiefs made was with Buffalo and now Buffalo cannot beat them to get over them? Mm. It's a little. And guess what? <laughs> if anyone say, God, those guys were idiots for trading both of their first and a third. It's Buffalo He's now. Man, we were so stupid for giving them Mahomes. <laughs> yeah. They gave yeah. them their guy. It's just ridiculous. But 
Just circling back to some of the coaching stuff is, you know, when you're playing NBA DFS, haha, you know, good good times usually. Um, when you're playing NBA DFS and you have this master plan to late swap, and then the injury news doesn't break your way, uh, so you have nobody to late swap to. That's what happened when the Commanders hired Dan Quinn. They had yeah. no one. They had no one left to late swap to. Ben Johnson went back to Detroit. Offensive mind Bobby Slowick. I guess maybe he wasn't ready or didn't interview well, went back to Houston. And I think the biggest story is, you know, Bill Belichick and Mike Vrabel don't have jobs. And that goes partially hand in hand, I think, with what Chief said about the league, you know, uh, kind of turning a a stone here and going with the new generation and offensive mind. And uh, let me tell you, Mike Vrabel's not an offensive coach. Much like Dan Campbell, he will get players to run through a wall for you. But um, also, he's much better than Dan Campbell as an in-game decision. That, that's like making that's his strength. But the, and and kind of tying this all together is for some reason more often times than not the past year. I don't know why, but when there's been smoke, there has been fire lately. And you know, I, I was told Mike Vrabel would land a job the next day, and that the Titans were the you know poverty organization for letting him go. And you know he has his busting with the boys, uh, friends Taylor Luan and Will Compton, saying it was the dumbest move on the earth. Then you hear some inklings from some Titans players who I was surprised left or got cut, saying uh, uh, you had um, Wesley Woodard went on a Nashville uh, radio station and just said some stuff uh, about Vrabel and how the locker room was actually really divided. Um, because he was such such so much in the mindset that coaches win games, not the players, that the ego thing was was actually true. And and word travels within this league very fast from organization to organization. And listen, I, I still like Mike Vrabel a lot. I, I love supporting him, but you know, looking everything in hindsight now, like he never outsourced for talent. We wasted three years of Derrick Henry with Todd Downing. Shane Bowen's an okay defensive coordinator, but he was so stubborn that he could coach his own guys up. To, you know, he was the guy he can get him to that level. This is my speculative opinion here. Um, that eventually he kind of just got sick of it. And the Titans shipped out guys like Josh Reynolds, who had a miserable uh, championship game, but was awesome for the Lions the whole year. They randomly shipped out guys like Tahir Tart, uh, you know, up and coming defensive linemen. There have been guys that for no reason have just kind of been cast offs and, I'm I'm kind of wondering if you know some of this smoke with the Mike Rabel rumors at the local level has some validity to it because uh, I thought a perfect fit for him would have been a team like the Chargers where you know they're in cap hell right now but they really needed someone to come in and um, get the most out of the talented roster on paper that they have and if there's a guy that can flip a culture is Mike Rabel and much like Dan Campbell did with Detroit uh, Rabel kind of did that with Tennessee but his uh, stubborn loyalty over the past couple of seasons has, has actually set them back. And um, just I, I'm give, getting this Mike Rabel moment in because I, I had no other time to talk about it. But, you know, now people are really backpedaling on Mike Rabel and he doesn't have a job. And maybe Andy Reid retires and maybe Bill or Mike get the job. But Kansas City is also not an organization who is going to give all the front office power to either one of those guys with the legacy that they've built. There, there's no way that that's going to be a fit with Belichick or Rabel who clearly, yeah. you know, want control of things. But um, so it's just a little coincidental that Tennessee has their press conference when they hire Brian Callahan and GM Rand Carthon, who was John Lynch's right-hand man from San Francisco. I have so much confidence in this guy uh, said that he, a really good quote. He said that 
hunting at the same time isn't the same thing as hunting together, which I think was a really big shot at Vrabel because I know there was a big difference of opinions. And for those of you that you know don't follow the Titans too closely, this is a completely new GM than uh, John Robinson who botched the A.J. Brown situation. Um, big time. Rand Carthon got Will Levis in the second round, who's shown some flashes that he's going to be a guy. He went out and got Tajay Spear in his one ACL, and people doubted that decision-making. Now Tajay Spears is like the hot commodity in the fantasy uh, dynasty world yeah. right now. Um, yeah. And he went out and got Peter Skaronsky in the first round. So, like, I, I just think it's a combination of a lot of things. We talked about the NFL going to the youth movement, the offense, you know, with the turnover and uh, OCs, you really need a guy who at least has his – uh, principles installed in a team for 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 you know uh, five years to a decade to have a little bit of consistency there and I, I don't know I mean maybe Vrabel in and Belichick are out of jobs uh, I mean if Andy Reid does end up retiring which is, is possible and and maybe that's a segue to our Super Bowl talk here I'm sure those guys would want to uh to kick the door down to get an interview with Patrick Mahomes and and company but it just seems like a a weird fit, an organization who has had so much pedigree, who, who has made the right decisions, uh, you know, the past five to 10 years and in Kansas city, I just can't see them, you know, like uh, conceding to a, uh, I don't want to say a power hungry head coach, but uh, may, maybe that's what it is. So I guess looking back uh, uh, the bill Callahan hire, uh, I'm pretty excited. He took his dad from Cleveland to coach the O-line. That's fun. Um, they poached Denard Wilson from Baltimore uh, as a secondary right after they lost, which was fun. So I don't know. Tennessee kind of everybody thought they took a step back with Rabel, but this might be the best staff I've ever seen uh, on a Titan sideline since, since I could remember. So we'll see. Uh, and maybe that kind of goes into our Super Bowl talk here for the next, I don't know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes or so before we get out of here, if that's OK with you guys. But uh, the fun stuff is what happens if the Chiefs win, you know, does Andy Reid retire? Does you know Travis propose to Taylor? I'm just kidding, but <laughs> there are some offshore odds uh, with that. But um, the the things that matter to us right now are you know, that line flipped. I mean, money started coming in on Kansas City, okay. and um, uh, and and here we are. And actually, what is the line right now? Let me pull up scores and odds real quick. Um, I thought it was plus uh, Kansas City plus two this morning. Yeah, you know what? Maybe that is what it was. Uh, so the line didn't flip. It it did for like a minute, and then it flipped back. I think. Yeah. Okay. Plus so that's two for sure. Plus two for sure. Okay. So here yeah. we are. So yeah. Plus hundred on the money line for KC. Sign me up. Yeah. Sorry. So so you're with the Chiefs for this one. I've been rolling with them the whole playoffs, man. I just think uh, they have looked better. And that, and I think the Niners have been playing with fire, going down both of these games and being lucky to come back. Um, they they don't play well from behind, and if they're playing from behind against this KC defense, um, they're going to be a little bit in trouble. And I just like I just like Mahomes. I like Andy Reid. I think the, all that all the experience means something, Kelsey. Every all of it. But just from a macro view, I think I think it's silly to count the Chiefs out in any scenario. Yeah, and 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 Chief, I'll throw it over to you. I'm a little, le- I've been like a little less impressed with the Niners' defense, and there was a couple of weeks in the middle of the season where they were a little bit leaky, right? A couple, couple anomaly games where they gave up, you know, 25, 28 points. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, of course, we've all seen it on Twitter now, but Chase Young just giving zero effort in a championship game, 
last week. I mean, just walking around on plays that he could have made a tackle on and and weird stuff. Now there's some smoke where they're considering benching him and, and th- some things like that. Um, just bizarre stuff. But I- I'm with you. Like just even just from the eye test. And I, I don't think I would have said this six weeks ago, but the Chiefs are playing much better football collectively right now than, than San Francisco is for sure. Uh, yeah, Chief, what are your thoughts on, on this game? Just from like a, I don't know, momentum standpoint or just from the eye test here, how do you gauge these two teams right now? Look, man, I, you know, I, I didn't think I would end up here at this point in the season, but I think I think there's something to be said because – Coaching competency in the NFL is a commodity. And so when I look at the Chiefs and I look at Andy Reid and I look at Patrick Mahomes, and this is something I tell my son all the time, like, son, don't always go for the shiny new toy. Experience in any sport, baseball, football, basketball, it matters. And as teams go through the ranks and they go through the trenches, like, they learn how to win. And that's something I've, I've told my son, you guys have to learn how to win, right? And, and and learning how to win is a compilation of everything. It's clock management. It's understanding the situation. It's knowing when to take the risk, when not to take the risk. When And, and he plays basketball. But, you know, when do we take this deep three-pointer? When do we not take that? Like it, some of it's feel, but it's understanding the game, right? And understanding, hey, we're down three with a minute and 30 left. I don't need to take a bad three-pointer for a long rebound, hand them another possession, and then they run and get – like, you just have to know that, right? And I'm saying that to say Andy Reid has proven if you hand him a chance to win the football game, he's going to win the football game. As brilliant as Shanahan has been as an, as an offensive play designer, yes. how many times have we watched him almost botch a game at the end? Like how many this season? Not I'm not I'm not even talking about the Falcons Super Bowl. Like that's that's something totally different. I'm talking about this season, Dan and Luce. We saw him just botch play play uh, play calling and game management at the end of a football game in a Super Bowl where this is probably going to be the best defense he's seen for the whole playoffs, right? And a team where the Chiefs aren't going to most likely beat themselves. Like they beat themselves earlier during the year with, you know, guys not lined up in the right position and guys dropping passes. But I think Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, if they get in any type of control of this game, I don't think they're going to relinquish it. And that's yeah. where I think the difference will be. I'm going to roll with the Chiefs because I think quarterback and coach are better just in general. And that's not a knock on Brock Purdy. That's not a knock on, 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 uh, on, on Shanahan. I just True. think, I just think Andy Reed and Patrick Mahomes with the addition of Steve Spagnola, I think it may be too much for mm. the 49ers for, for four quarters. I don't think it's a blowout. I think it could very well be a three point game, three, three to four point. Game. Like I, I don't, I don't see blowout here, but I do think, you know, the Chiefs get there, even if they're down. Um, like, I think San Francisco could just give them the ball too early late. Like, that could be a bad, you know what I'm saying? Like, just a bad mismanagement. Patrick Mahomes gets it down one point with, you know, a minute 40 left rather than, you know, 30 seconds. 
that could be the difference in them winning the Super Bowl and him driving down the field and getting the field. So that that's really how I view this game. I just think Andy Reid's a better coach overall. Nothing against Shanahan and Purdy. I mean, I'll just I'll just jump right on top of that and kind of add a few things. What I, what I think people don't realize about this Chiefs team this year is that they have a really different identity. They're not the Chiefs team from three four years ago that that was putting up 40, 40 some points a game and just and had a, had a bad defense and would win with offense. Like the identity of this football team is like running the football with Pacheco, right? They have a they have a really good run game. Their offensive line is pretty good. Their defense obviously is very good, and then it's timely playmaking by Mahomes. You know, finding Kelsey on third down. Uh, obviously, Rasheed Rice has come on really big and, and been a nice, you know, find for them because their other receivers are pretty lacking. Um, and this, this, it's just a different football team. Like they, they won that game 17 10 against the Ravens. They won a tough, like that's not a game that they would win uh, years ago in terms of winning tough, hard fought football games. Um, I, I listen to Travis Kelsey's podcast every week, probably do like a lot of other people. And he, he talks every week about just how these guys are bought in. They play for each other. They play for Andy. They love Andy. They love like they're, and I'm not saying San Francisco has a bad culture or anything. San Francisco's clearly more talented on paper, probably has better athletes and more positions. But I think Kansas City is just a kind of a team of destiny here. Like they're, it feels like, it feels like when you're playing the Patriots back when they had the dynasty, they didn't have the best talent, but they, you knew that like, in the clutch, Tom Brady was going to make a play. The defense was going to come up big. It feels like they're they're in the middle of that ascension to like that type of dynasty. Yeah, I'm excited to see how San Fran approaches this game because unlike Baltimore, this ain't Todd Monken's show. And you know, Spags can blitz. And and the thing about Kansas City is they play the most too high coverage in football, uh, and they play I think the sixth most man. So, uh, you know. They, they're not going to completely completely change their identity. Of course, they have two weeks to prep, and this is, you know, a highly decorated staff. Like, they're going to throw some wrenches in there for sure, especially against Brock Purdy, who uh, hasn't been great lately. You know, some of the decision, some of the throws just hasn't been bad. But I kind of feel bad because, like, the media and, and just social media just crapping on him. But this guy tore his UCL last year, right? He had elbow surgery, and it's still a cool story. Whether or not he deserves the MVP or not, like – he still had like an incredible season, and and maybe it's like a souped up version of, of Jared Goff in this offense right now. I mean, you know, is Jared Goff a good quarterback? Yes. Is he better because of the talent and the system he plays in, and and the offensive coordinator? Also, yes. Like both things can be true. Um, and I know Chief has, has mentioned, you know, if you put Brock Purdy in a Broncos uniform in that system, like, well, what would he be playing? Like, I, I get it, but. Um, I think he's done more than enough to like warrant that he deserves to be that guy. And at least for another year here, but uh, there's going to be so many cliffhangers and so much drama in the media. Whoever loses this game, it's going to be, well, you know, what's up with Travis Kelsey, even though he went off, even though he's going off at a historical like pace in the postseason, it's, it's still going to be flipped on Travis Kelsey. Like it's still going to be the whole offseason, the Travis Kelsey show. And if San Fran loses, it's going to be as Brock Purdy, the guy, like, is he the guy? And, <laughs> Like they would just be idiotic to not, you know, another another year in the system. Uh, like he's gonna be the guy again next year. Like it's just. It's can, can I make one addition to that outside of the yeah, Super Bowl? Yeah, you should. Uh, and Dan, I know you gotta go, man. We're, we're gonna do our podcast. Is just we lo- we love it. We, we we talk about all kinds of stuff. All good, man. You guys talk as much as you want. I'm I'm good. Fantastic. Another thirty minutes. I'm just kidding. Uh, 
here's what I will say, and Luke, we've talked about this before. I think when you're an elder statesman in the league at quarterback, system matters way less. You've got enough experience. You've seen enough coverage. You've seen enough. You've you've been in tight moments. You've been in the two-minute drill. You've been it, been down 20. You've been up 20. Like you've just seen enough and have taken in enough information to probably be able to go anywhere. That's why, like, and I keep using Andy Dalton because I do think Andy Dalton's probably like one of the best backups in the league in, in a sense. Like he can probably go to any team and be just fine as a backup. He's like a Joe Flacco. How about Joe Flacco right, in Cleveland? Right, right, right. right. See, that's a perfect example. Yeah, Joe Flacco right. goes, and, and yeah, he doesn't get out of this Houston series, but in general, like, he was fine. Nothing's going to rattle him like that, right? Right. When you're a young quarterback like C.J. Stroud, like Brock Purdy, like Patrick Mahomes, I do think system and situation matters early. And, that, and then as they get more experienced, then it matters less. And I think what we're seeing, and I'm saying that to support what we're talking about in general, how we were kind of talking about Patrick Mahomes and Brock Purdy, because they're at two different stages of their career, right? Like Patrick Mahomes is kind of past that early stage. So now some of the mistakes we saw last year and the year before that, when he was just throwing footballs in the coverage, like, Pat, what are you doing? Why'd you throw that football? We're not seeing that this season, right? Because he's, He's got enough experience under his belt to understand I can't make that throw right now. It's going to cost us too much if it goes the other way, right? Where Brock Purdy, even in season two, in a good system, in the Super Bowl, I think we might see him press if this goes the wrong way, Dan. You get what I'm saying? And he might try to anticipate that path in two coverage that he shouldn't. And that's the difference between experience and the younger guy. So while C.J. Stroud looks like the next coming of a Patrick Mahomes type, and he very well may be, the, the system he's in and, and the trust they gave him mattered early, right? Versus you look at my guy, Bryce Young, who had a terrible season. Mm. I, I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to close it. I don't know what Baker Mayfield did, but he had to do something good to someone. Uh, man, God smiling on him. He's gotten so many chances, but but – what have you seen from Baker Mayfield? And I, and I want to give him his props because while Baker Mayfield may not be elite, all those coordinators and all those experiences have helped him to get a job. And we saw a really good Baker Mayfield this season. Why? Well, if he was a rookie, he wouldn't have played as well. He's, he, I mean, look, he's had McVay and God, he had four or five different coordinators in Cleveland, yeah. had one in Carolina. Like, He's just seen so much that now that he, he had a chance to get some stability, look at what happened. Not, right. not, not that he lit the world on fire, but he, he showed I'm a good quarterback. And, yeah, and now he's going to make some gone, money. He's in, he's in Carolina. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I'm saying that now to bring it back to the Super Bowl. This is what I see for Brock Purdy. I'm not calling him Baker Mayfield. That's, that, that, that's not what this is about. This is about saying – if he can take these lumps early, he kind of has. He, whether they win this Super Bowl or not, he, he he gets into this system and stays there. Even if he doesn't finish his career with San Francisco, Brock Purdy's going to have a good – because he's going to be past that area of needing a system to help him along the way. The more experience he gets, the, the better he's going to get over time. And so uh, I, I'm going to back this up. I do think the Chiefs win this year. But I think, you know, if 
I think San Francisco has a much smaller window than the Chiefs, for what it's worth. Like I'm, this I'm, is this is another part of their window. If they don't win this year, I view them in the same camp as Baltimore. It's going to get ugly because they're going to have to start paying a lot of people. Brock Purdy being one of them. I, I'm also taking Kansas City. Um, well, all right, like San Francisco's going to win because you know okay, we're all. We I'm just kidding. You, you just know kidding. how that works. Don't um, do right. that. <laughs> yeah. RIP to my uh, Bills 35 to 1 ticket. But before that uh, divisional round game, I did hedge bet uh, the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl 8 to 1. So at least I have a little a little something to root for. Um, any props or early lines or anything catch your eye, Dan? Um, a, a, chalk, a chalky play early, early in the two week window here seems to be McCaffrey rushing yard, seems to be a popular, a popular look. And like I understand it because they've really been leaning on him and Although Todd Monken didn't seem to watch the James Cook game, everybody else did and saw what they, what they did to Kansas City up front. So, what are your thoughts on McCaffrey in this matchup? Is he going to have? Is he or, and any other props? But do you think McCaffrey kind of gets the monster volume everyone expects him to to see? I mean, it's tough because you can't predict the game script in terms of. I mean, they're San Francisco is going to run the ball no matter what. I, I get it, even down. But um, if the game script flips a little bit, I would get nervous about if they're playing from behind as they were with Detroit. Him because the number's up there, right? It's up around 90 or something or 88. Yeah, yeah, 89. Uh, Seen 90 on prize picks. Yeah, if I'm going after a big number, I think the probably this and it's all juiced up everywhere. But the safest thing is the, the Kelsey catches and Kelsey yards. Like we saw what Laporta did against the Niners. Like, the, you know, their linebackers are great, but they're not great in coverage. And um, where can you attack them over the middle of the field in the flats? So I think you know, Kelsey's probably set for another eight, nine, ten catches. 80, 90, 100 yards like he did last time. I think that's probably one of the safer um, safer bets. And then you can get into, like, you know, anytime touchdowns, like Kelsey probably even a guy for KC, Kelsey or Pacheco. And then um, I like – I always like going with Debo for for touchdown props where the um, – because they, they do like to give him the ball run on some running plays down in the red zone. Um, and, of course, he has that ability to make a play after the catch – uh, so I, I, rather than bet McCaffrey at minus two fifty for a touchdown, why not go Debo plus one ten, something like that, for um for the Niners? Yeah, um, it's like plus one seventy five in MGM. That's a pretty good call. I like that. Well, that's, um, that's real nice. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And he's had two Will. weeks to get healthy, so and he played seventy seven percent of the snaps. I mean, yeah, yeah, he'll be in decent shape, I think. They always um, here's the thing with Debo. They always have a bunch of like predetermined, kind of scripted. First of the first couple drives, especially a couple of running plays, screen plays, like things. They they definitely design him the football, and uh, they 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 get him the ball in the red zone too. So I like that for like a DFS slash betting thing. Debo is probably a guy I would focus on. Yeah, and and I'll pass it over to you, Chief, and then and then we'll start closing out. But with how much man coverage, uh, you know, compared to the league. Uh, and two high stuff that Kansas City plays. Like, uh, my best guess is we're going to see some bubble screens and things early. I mean, it just makes sense to – if you're having one-on-one coverage on the outside. And, you know, um, uh, I don't know if I have to make some decisions here, but Debo's receptions are at three and a half. And I get it. It's a, a spread around, low-volume kind of pass attack. But I just think we're going to see a lot of short stuff, try to get these guys in space. You know, if – if you know the slot receiver can make a block or two, you can get some explosive plays, as we've seen time after time against this man coverage. You know, if Purdy can deliver the ball on time, like if Spag's going to get the same, you know, uh, come at San Fran with the same kind of pressure, it, 
it's going to be an interesting chess match to watch, you know, two brilliant minds and you know, Shanahan up against, um, you know, Spags and, uh, and seeing uh, what kind of, what kind of chess match we get uh, on Sunday. Uh, yeah. I mean, boys, you got anything else about the Super Bowl? Any Gatorade color predictions? Any, <laughs> anything else we didn't touch on? And just in terms of passing props, I'm, I'm, I'm as of right now, I feel like I'm leaning under on both passing props. Believe it or not, like I just think, um, I think the Kansas City defense is going to be able to limit Brock Purdy here at least early enough in the first half to maybe maybe hold him back a little bit. Like I mean, on the books, he's at around 245 most places. Um, I I like the under there um, for for a variety of reasons, and then with Patrick Mahomes. Um, you can't get him at 262 and a half on FanDuel, which is, you know, two yards more than where most places are. And it's it's not about do I think these quarterbacks are, are really good. I think they're both really good. Obviously, we, we consider Patrick Mahomes elite. I just think the game plan, and I think, Dan, you, you mentioned this, and I, I think it's it's incredible. Like, when's the last time we've seen Kansas, a Kansas City running back get 18, 20 carries a game? Like, that, that's what we're seeing with Pacheco, and I mean, they'll sprinkle in CEH for one or two. But I mean, I think one of these games, did Pacheco have 24 carries? Like, I think, I think he might have 24 carries in one of these games. It might, might have been the last one, but don't quote me on that. But either way, I think with the the combination of the run game uh, and, and, and you know, Mahomes kind of having two solid targets to throw to and, and Rice and Kelty – I, I like unders on, on both of these guys. Now, obviously, yeah. you know, the game gets out of hand. Purdy's got to throw late. Like, it, it could shift, but I think this defense is this good enough to hold Purdy back. And I think if Kansas City's in control of this game, they play a little bit more clock management like we saw against Baltimore. And I don't think they completely take their foot off the gas like in Baltimore, but I think, you know, I think they try to control it with the big guys up front. And so I, I like the unders yeah. on both these passing games. Yeah, and I think that speaks overall to the overall under too, like forty-seven and a half. Um, I'm I'm okay with an under there because I I can see this being a 24-20 or 20-21-17 type game with with both teams really valuing every possession, trying not to make mistakes, throwing throwing short passes, trying to run the football. Both teams trying with playing two high safeties, taking away deep shots. Um, it, uh, we want it, we always want a lot of offense, but in reality, like. These coaches know, you know, they they're in the big game. They're gonna they're gonna try to take away that stuff. Unless yeah. you never know, we never know with special teams touchdowns and defensive things. They're always fluky. But in general, I think um, we I lean the under overall too. And it, it's, I don't care who they are. I don't care if it's you know Mahomes or you know Peyton Manning, Joe Montana. Like there's still some nerves for the first drive or so. Like maybe you know all you need is you know one or two you know miscues or you know bad execute poorly executed plays and. Uh, that saves you from some kind of scoring potentially. So I, yeah. I kind of side with, you know, the, again, there's a line between analytics and, you know, uh, real life stuff, but the human nature of it is, I mean, there's billions of eyeballs uh, that are going to be on this game and you got to feel it a little bit. So uh, yeah. So I guess for story time, let me ask you this. I mean, football season's wrapping up. Uh, I'll open it up to both of you. Um, kind of just came to my mind. Uh, for you, Dan, and, and you, Chief, you know, we're we're all in the content world here. And on top of that, uh, what what is uh, what is life after football season like? What you know, obviously, uh, some time opens up, and we're all busy people, and we have things to do. And uh, I guess you know, Dan, like obviously, you have a lot going on in your personal life too. But also, like, what 
you know, uh, in, in the sports space, like how early do you start you know, shifting your, your, your mental game to baseball and, and, you know, looking forward here, just like, uh, you, what do you do with the, uh, the gap in entertainment? Do you watch something else during the, the off season on TV, any series you're into or anything like that? Well, I know me and Chief are big basketball guys. We're going to keep following the NBA every day. Um, I try to watch the Cleveland Cavs. They're my, they're my squad. Another, another win last night against Memphis. Um, uh, on NBA TV, whenever I get a chance, or on, on the uh, on um, League Pass, um, my wife and I just started from the beginning. We had never seen it. Modern Family, the show Modern Family, and I was like ten or I don't know how I ever watched the show. It was like gone for ten or twelve years or something. So we just started from the beginning, and we're watching it with my just about eleven year old. She's just turning eleven, so that's interesting because there's like some. So a little bit of risque stuff in there occasionally. So, but but it's fun for her. It's like a, a thing we do after my my little toddler goes to bed every night. But um, basketball for another couple months. But baseball, I just tweeted out yesterday. It's fifty five days till I get to bet Cole Reagan's over strikeouts against the Twins. Oh. So uh, <laughs> we have a Cole Reagan truther. Yes. Yeah, baby. Yes. I love strikeout props and baseball stuff. And um, obviously the Pirates. I was on a podcast with a, my friend of mine the other day doing Pirates preview, and there's not a lot of, to preview with the Pirates. But in general, I do look excited about baseball season, and um, you know, it, I, I just love it. I, I love that the covering three sports keeps things fresh for me. And so when football is over, I'm like, we're still doing NBA, and then basketball or baseball is coming up. And by the time midsummer, baseball gets to be a, a bit of a drag, right? In July and August, you're like, well, hey, training camps are starting football, and it just never stops, man. So it keeps things moving, keeps things fresh, keeps things fun. Um, I don't know how people cover one sport all year round. I think I don't think I could do it. I know some people can do it. I don't think I could do it. Will, what yeah. about you, bud? Listen, you already know. Baseball, I, I've already I started digging into baseball probably a month ago. And that's 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 a lot because and, and it wasn't digging in in terms of like stand, I just want to see okay, who's been moving, right? Because you know, baseball sometimes these weird transactions happen, you don't know. And a player that may not be as important, but is still important for us because of the DFS aspect and the fantasy aspect and the props and pick them aspect. So, you know, I started digging into that stuff and saw some interesting things. I'm sure you guys saw the news yesterday. Corbin Burns going to Baltimore right after they sold the team. Yeah. That is huge. That tells me Baltimore is in to try to win this thing. Right? Yep. I said, boy, this is getting interesting. While the Yankees are – Yankees got Juan Soto. Like, I think, and I know that was like kind of at the beginning of the big surge, but Baltimore sneakily making moves. And the thing about baseball that I think is different from basketball and football to some degree, the best team doesn't always win. It's who's, who's peaking at the right time. And I think Baltimore is trying to find a way to, to peak at the right time. You know, when I look at the Braves, can we just get some pitching? Like, that's my team. Obviously, I live in the southeastern part of the United States, and the Braves are were the only professional baseball team in my area. So I've been a Braves fan since I've been, you know, knee-high knee to a house cat. I think that's another old southern phrase. But, you know, who peaks at the right time? And a lot yeah. of these teams, I feel like, have made, made some moves. Uh, the Dodgers have essentially tried to buy a championship. We'll see how that works out for them. Uh, and, and there you have it. But baseball is fun. Uh, I love the strikeout props. And then, you know, now we've got DraftKings pick six that's available to us, which is changing the game in terms of peer-to-peer uh, mm-hmm. contests, kind of like traditional DFS. They don't move the lines all day. And so I think that's going to challenge 
prize picks and underdog and all these other picking sites to kind yeah. of think about what they're doing differently. And I actually think it's going to help for a better ecosystem for the pick em space, um, especially since, uh, you know, at one point, man, there were, a lot of these companies, prize picks, underdog, were taking a lot of heat from legislation, uh, you know, with, with what I consider, what consider backdoor deals, people telling them, look into this. Is this really, you know, a game? And I think as the pick em space evolves, I know it's the story time, and that's kind of what I'm talking about. As it evolves, I think peer-to-peer is the new way that people are going to play the pops and pick them game. And I think that's going to essentially save the DFS industry because it's a beautiful industry. to do. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so some uh, national but local news is Punkstani Phil did not see his shadow today. So he said early spring, which means pitchers and catchers, baby, we're, we're, we're there. We're, we're ready for some, uh, you know, 40 degree baseball weather. I'm, I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. That's got to be a little bit closer to your, to your way, right? The, uh, yeah. Up this way, yeah. We're not. We're still in a couple hours away, but um, yeah, it's always a big deal in PA. What what Punxsutawney does, Punxsutawney Phil does. Hey, speaking to your Orioles thing, I just looked. They're um, plus six hundred to win the AL, third best odds now behind the Yankees and Astros. So maybe, maybe time to get a bet in, right? I love I love the young core they have in Baltimore. It's only about a uh, seventy five miles down uh, the highway here. It's actually closer to Baltimore for me than Pittsburgh or Philly to get it. So I'm gonna try to get down to Cayman Yards and see some games this year. Great stadium too. Uh, I love that. Yeah. In a couple of years, but I love how they let you bring in like outside food and stuff like that. Like yeah. real family, real family atmosphere. But uh, yeah, uh, it's gonna it's gonna be fun, man. And uh, I'm excited. And uh, we'll have you covered here. At some point, we'll be back in this podcast. I would love to um, do a, an NFL draft kind of addition. I think we did that last season off the run it run it up the chain and see if we can get the green light, but. Um, we can't thank all you listeners enough for our, our season finale here and hope you enjoyed a little breakup from uh, all the analytics and everything you follow around the, you know, sports betting and DFS industry, wherever it is. Hopefully this is a good little mental reset button and, and thanks for letting us be in your earbuds, whether you're at the gym or cleaning the house or, or whatever it is that you do. We, uh, we appreciate you. Um, but before, before I let chief close it out here, Hey Dan, where can the people find you on Twitter? If they uh, want to give you a follow. Yeah, I'm at ThunderDanDFS. Um, check me out there. I post some stuff daily for NBA props and, uh, you know, I have links to all of my different uh, content at Rotoballer. So appreciate you guys having me on, man. It was a blast. Absolutely. Chief, uh, any closing thoughts before we ride off into the sunset here? Well, as we always tell you every year, folks, this ain't your mama's podcast and it never will be. Thank you for joining us and uh, we'll, we'll see you around the way. Awesome. Well, for Dan and Chief, I'm the Looch. We'll catch you in a couple months. Enjoy the Super Bowl.